0: You're listening to the Brand Compass, conversations to navigate your way to building a brand fit for purpose and poised for success. Here's your host, Shelley Rossland.
1: Hello, my friend, and thank you for choosing to listen to us today. This is the show where we hang out where the sea meets the shore where your brand meets the humans you serve. I am Shelley Rosland, your host on this particular journey, and I'm quite excited to get into our topic today, which is the juicy, peachy subject of brand experience. Now, that may sound like big business stuff, but really it's not. It's the nuts and bolts, if you will, of why your clients find you alluring, and it's what makes them stick around for the long term. So there's a big part of brand experience for a micro business that's essentially a big old mix of old fashioned relationship management, customer service, and a genuine care for doing the right thing and looking after people. And that's why I've asked my conversation companion today to come and join me. I'm really chuffed to welcome a fellow micro business owner come and chew the fat with me on this one, and that is David Ventura. Welcome, David.
0: (laughs) Hey, Shelley. Thanks for having me on the show. It's the first time I've been called a conversation companion. I quite like that. That's nice. I'm going to introduce myself as that at new events. Hi, I'm your conversation companion today.
1: (laughs) Yes, companion for the day. So let me just introduce David so that everybody knows where David's coming from and how he's going to contribute to this conversation. So David is an author and consultant specializing in key account management, and is a psychodynamic executive coach supporting driven chief executives seeking to enhance their personal and commercial relationships. He's worked across telecom, security, and the hospitality sectors, and is especially fond of his time spent in the entertainment industry. He spends his time sharing the virtues of building profitable partnership-based relationships through active listening flexible thinking and planning key emotive moments into experience journeys. David's married to Sasha and his two gorgeous sons who keep him out of trouble at home. So welcome, David.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Keeping me out of trouble. I'm not sure about that. Keeping you out of trouble or
1: in trouble. not terribly sure.
0: Either or and the same. They're not mutually exclusive, I feel.
1: No, no. You're a very brave man. So, shall we kick off the conversation first by asking you a little bit about what fascinates me every time I meet an entrepreneur? Is going like, what happened to you that you jumped the employment ship? Like, how did you start this journey of owning your own business?
0: Yeah, well, that's a nice way of putting it. Actually, jumping the employment ship. I'm, I'm not sure I was ever. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I was ever on the ship actively, or or whether I would just sort of found myself on the ship to sort of piggyback a ride to the next destination. I, I guess I. I started my first self-employed business when I was in my teens. I was a uh, mobile DJ and party entertainer. So nice. I sort of got the I got the buzz, I guess, for being my own boss. Shelley, you know me quite well. I'm a little bit of a rebel and a maverick. I don't like being told what to do. It's um, up there on your
1: I, top three active archives. Yeah, isn't it? yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely a maverick. And part of it is, is the not liking to be told what to do and the other part i guess is i'm am certainly an ideas person and i have a, a thousand ideas a day 999 of which are probably ridiculous and will never happen but one of them might be good and i never really liked in the employment world the sort of restrictions that that were put in place to stop ideas from coming to fruition Becoming particularly something. quickly mm. yeah and i guess you know in some way it was sort of like you know i'd have this this great idea on day 1 and I wanted it to run with it and do something. And then all the bureaucracy and the red tape sort of mm. kicked in. And mm. by day two, I'm on to my next idea. And idea one hasn't had the chance to come to life yet. So yeah. a lot of my ideas never really came came to fruition. And that, and that I found really frustrating. I, I like the agility of being self-employed and trying new things and you know, learning fast, failing quickly, getting back up again. So yeah, I think that the a balance between sort of being a bit of a rebel, being a maverick, liking to bring new ideas to the front quite quickly and being quite agile kind of lends me to being self-employed. What what led me to the current self-employment that I'm in? I guess it was a moment of trying to figure out what I was enjoying in the work that I was doing at that time. Part of my remit back then was was in training and development and I was you know, spending probably twenty five, thirty percent of my time, sort of in a in a training room, working with a group of people, and I I sort of was having this sort of I was going to call it a midlife crisis, but it it, it wasn't a quite midlife crisis, so <laughs> quite
1: young for quite there life, yet.
0: <laughs> But I was certainly having a crisis of some description, and I was having a conversation with my with my then wife. Was it we yet? Yeah, we'd been married for a year. Is that right? I I can't remember. Anyway, my either my fiance or my wife at the time, both the same person, by the way. Just to be clear, um, and <laughs> just figuring out the timings. That's all. I, I need to stop introducing my wife as as my ex girlfriend um, to people um, because that doesn't work either. Um, no. But uh, it's, exactly. But I, you know, I was having this sort of crisis moment and trying to figure out what I enjoy. And she was the one that pointed out to me. Actually, do you know what, David? You you seem to be happier when you've been in the training room for the day. You obviously quite enjoy that. And I guess I knew that, but she was the one that really pointed it out to me. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why that that would be the case, and some of that we might talk about um, today. Actually, yeah. with my background in performance, but yes, I, I kind of thought let me stick to that, and that's evolved over the years. I started off as a sort of more of what I would call a generalist trainer, soft skills trainer, and have found a, uh, found a sort of niche, I guess, these days in either working with executive leaders or you know on the customer uh, relationship management side with uh, with existing clients and, and salespeople. So. Yeah, that, that, I guess that's a little bit of my background. We haven't got four-day podcast episode here, so <laughs> no, I can't give we'll you everything. We'll save that for another day, shall uh, we? Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> dig back into that on another day.
1: <laughs> okay. We need a whole like therapy podcast, I think we need to stop.
0: Oh, don't. So, Liquid <laughs> don't, that's, what, don't. that's what we'll call it.
1: All right, so, uh, yeah. so the reason I picked you for this chat today was because something we talked about, we were having this discussion earlier, It's like, when did we talk about this and why did we talk about it? But it stuck in my head. And I think we were talking about the importance of a customer's experience along their journey with a brand, which is a big part of overall brand experience, right? So I know that in the work that you do with your clients, you work with individuals and sometimes with teams in determining those important points along a customer's journey. So I guess that's kind of where it starts, right? So my question is, how remarkable do you think, or in your experience, do those points need to be in order for us to identify those to kind of help us work out our brand experience?
0: Yeah, I guess. So remarkable is a good word to use, actually, because a moment that is remarkable in in the literal sense is worthy of remark. In other words, other people might tell other people about it. And that's, yeah. you know, word of mouth marketing is is the oldest and still probably most powerful form of marketing that there is out there. And if you can create a moment within your customer experience that is remarkable in the true sense of the word, then, then why wouldn't you do that? I suppose, do, does every moment need to be remarkable? I would, I would say no. That's
1: my um, question. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I, and, I, and I, don't, I, I don't think it does. And the reason I don't think it does is you don't, you don't tend to tell people about the stuff that you expect and the stuff that just has to happen as part of a custom, customer fulfillment journey journey and, and yet it, those moments are not any less important so i guess there are some moments in your customer journey that i would say would be nice for them to be, re- be remarkable and for people to talk about and there are other moments that you don't necessarily want people to be chatting about or that they don't need to be chatting about and that doesn't make them any less important and it doesn't mean that we don't have to think about what they what they feel like for the uh, for the customer I guess an example of that would be, you know, just the the a, a meeting invite coming out to you. That's a nice touch point, you know. you yeah. how, how often? How often in your business touch do you send a, a good, meeting a invite? A good
1: thing to remember, yeah. As a yeah. Type of import, I think that's just, that's just where the importance lies, isn't it? From the business perspective, there'll be some points along that journey that are important for you as a business to be demarcating, if you like, to know that you're progressing or you're moving a customer along. But the bits that are are quite good feedback for you as a business owner are the bits that are important or meaningful or remarkable from a customer's perspective so that you know that you know about them at the very least yeah as well
0: yeah well again and thinking about it about what's important and who is it important for so um you know we we alluded to this but my my background prior to working in in the business world was in the entertainment world and I yeah. I used to be entertainment manager for holiday park companies, cruise ships, uh, laterly uh, laterly nightclubs. And for me, I guess all of that work was based around putting on a show, putting on a performance and thinking about my audience. And that's why for me, so the transition into the, the business world was quite straightforward because I see my clients as an audience and what I do as a show.
1: This is what I want to get into, right? So now we're going to, like, you're going to transfer this knowledge (laughs) for everyone listening who runs a micro business, who runs a service-based business. I want them to think about themselves as putting on a show, putting on some kind of performance. I want you to kind of talk them through how that crossover would help for them.
0: Yeah. Well. Oh. Well. Let let me me rewind back then to something I learned well in fact two things I learned really really early on in my entertainment career so so first of all I should say that at at, at the time that that I learned this I was I just turned 19 years old right so I was a young young person with very little very little if any sort of business experience so all of my experience had just been either as a student or part-time jobs and you know my little disco and entertainment business on the side where I was doing parties and and things yeah yeah Mm. so so I'd never worked in an office. I I couldn't think of anything worse than working in an office at that time. I was I was just a you know, trying to make a, a quick buck and do things that I that I enjoyed. And I got this job as an entertainer on a holiday park and I turned up for my first day and I'd got the job on the premise that I was gonna be a sort of DJ host. That was my sort of skill set, you know. So I wasn't, you know, a singer or a dancer. Um
1: It's almost like a compare, like that kind yeah,
0: of moves yeah
1: moves the experience uh, uh, yeah. through. Yeah.
0: absolutely and and you know DJing and if, if anyone's ever been uh you know to a holiday park in this country or abroad you know it's DJing is, is is your is your filler and and you know as much as it might be the sort of end of your night where you're listening to the the big tunes actually every time there isn't anything else going on there might be a sort of DJ break where you're listening to music so so for me it was there was a real element of that's my skill that's what I'm here to do and I, I turned up on sort of day one and and with that, with my, my case of uh, of music in hand, my cases as in those days because it was all CDs, CDs. So I had like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, loads of cases of music. And I, I said to my then entertainment manager, right, where do you want me? I'm here to I'm here to DJ. I'm here to do. A... And he was like, no, no, you're on you're on PR duty. That's what he called it, PR duty. And I said, I, and this is me nineteen. What what's PR duty? Like what, what do I what do I do? And he basically looked and there was I don't know maybe two or three hundred people in, in the audience that night dotted around on little tables around the club room. And he said, you just need to go and talk to them. Like, just go and have a chat, sit down with them, and you know, just find out if they're enjoying their holiday, you know, where they've come from, what the kids' names are. And I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, you've made a mistake, I'm, I'm here to DJ. I'm not here to go and make friends with people in the audience. And what I very quickly, quickly realised is, is that actually that was the, the biggest, I'd say, the biggest part of the entertainment programme on a holiday park in those days was the rapport you built with your audience. And then it didn't matter. It didn't matter what you did on stage. I mean, you know, there were some nights where, you know, a cabaret act perhaps is stuck on the motorway somewhere and isn't going to get to us on time. So we got to fill an hour time and you would just go, do you know what? I've got a backing track. I'm going to go and sing a song. Was I a singer? No. Did it matter? No. Because I'd put the legwork into getting to know my audience and I could have got got up there and told knock knock jokes and they would have probably found it funny because it was someone that they knew on stage yeah. that they'd built a relationship with and so that was that was the first thing that the the at the time it didn't i don't think i fast forwarded in time no. and click that that's you do that in business and yet looking back on it i i think that was like the first fundamental lesson that i learned in business that actually building rapport with your audience or your client base your customer base is is the building blocks to whatever you choose to do next so that that I think was was the the, uh, the first thing that 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 got me thinking of business as a show as a performance, and then and then the other thing that that again I when I started that job about two or three weeks after starting that job we had whole team training whole company team training so every park that was due to open or had already opened all of the entertainment teams went to a central location and we had a a week long training session where we were learning all the new things for that year. The, Showcasts were learning the new shows and we were you know just a a whole big training event and i remember on day one the entertainment director for the holiday park company at the time he stood up and he gave a bit of a you know welcome to all the people who've never done this job before kind of speech And, and he said something that really stuck with me he said the most important thing that you'll ever learn and ever need to remember when running entertainment on one of our parks is continuity
1: nice this is what we would get into now Mm-hmm.
0: And he then broke that down for us. And, you know, he said, essentially, in, in every evening, in every show, there are ebbs and flows. and Some of those ebbs and flows are designed like you want to take your audience on that journey of feeling like they're going down and then they're coming back up and you, you want to take them on that journey. And sometimes those ebbs and flows happen because you're trying to entertain three or four hundred people and you can't be everyone's cup of tea at the same time. You know, and you're also not in control necessarily of how they you know, feel the, and
1: yeah, how they feel, you
0: and you're not mm. in c- control of the quality of the act. So you might have yeah. a band one night who are brilliant and can hold a dance floor for two hours straight without losing anyone. And then the next night you might have a band who, you know, perhaps because of budget reasons haven't been quite, you know, paid as much. They've, they're having an off night and they play three absolute bangers, followed by three terrible songs that clear the floor and you as the team have got to manage those ebbs and flows. You've also got time within your time, bearing in mind that an evening's worth of entertainment on a holiday park in those days, I keep saying in those days because a lot's changed. And you know, anyone that's been to yeah. a holiday park recently might be thinking, God, it would sound like great fun going to a holiday park in those days. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> things have changed. But you know, in, the, in those days, we used to start our entertainment program at like 6pm and not finish till one in the morning. That's a long time to yeah. hold an audience. And you've also got to know that during that time, people will come and go. So, not everyone comes out at 6 p.m. and not everyone stays until one o'clock in the morning. You know, you've got families that might show up at six for the Mm. kids' stuff and they might go at eight or nine and put the kids to bed. And then you get a new set of people who have perhaps done pre drinks in the bar and then they want to come and enjoy the live act. So, you've got this sort of constant, you know, ebbs and flows in the entertainment and ebbs and flows in your audience. And continuity was, was the key thing that stuck with me from this seminar. It, it, was, it was hugely important and totally within our control. And that's the bit that really fascinated me.
1: Yeah. So how do we then translate that for someone listening now who's a micro business, service-based yeah. business? You know, How do they translate continuity into their experiences with their clients? What what should they be looking out for, do you think?
0: Well, so I keep talking about ebbs and flows. Ebbs and flows are unavoidable and sometimes crafted and created. So sometimes you want them and sometimes they're just going to happen. So the key thing for me is to is to monitor and measure the mood of your audience, right? So, you know, find a way to monitor and measure how your audience are feeling at any one moment in time. and th- And you might get that measurement purely through communicating with them, talking with them, and just getting a feel and a sense for... Like what they're going through at best. that time, yeah, mm. the temperature. You know, how are you feeling about this particular product, this service journey? Where are you with your challenges? You know, you, all of those things that you would do as a business owner when you're talking Naturally. to your customers. Yeah. You get that natural temperature check, and you'll know whether they're up, or whether they're down, based on the conversation that you're you're having. So, I think mm-hmm. you know, first of all, keep keep that check in. And you know I I keep referencing you know the performance side of this and as a show. If I go back to my sort of theory learning from you know GCSEs and A levels in drama, there one of the things that really stuck with me in those days was the breaking down of the fourth wall. So you know you think about performance, you think about this performance that happens in front of you, and you can sit anonymously in an audience and just watch on. Actually, some of the best performances and one of the great theories is to break that fourth wall down and involve your audience. So there are moments where you might see a play. And the narrator starts talking to the audience. You know, almost sometimes they break character and they talk directly to you. They might ask you a question. Don't be afraid of doing that within your business. So just because you are putting on a show and creating and providing a great service, it doesn't mean that you can't break character at points and talk to your audience. And, you know, that sounds like a really obvious thing, right? Particularly in the business world where you might not think of it as a show. Uh, You think, well, I talk to my audience all the time.
1: So, what's an example? What do you What do you think is an example then for somebody? Say, someone is a consultant, or you know, we are talking about service based knowledge workers here. So, like you and me, yeah, yeah. they educate, mentor, advise clients, right? And part of your journey is delivering either training or consultancy or whatever that is. What is What is the way that if they were not doing it, that you would wake them up by saying, "This is how you would connect."
0: with an audience well i guess the example i would give i guess is the difference between broadcast and interactive nice. right so yeah. if we are um if we are broadcasting our products and our service delivery yeah. at someone then we're 100 mile an hour talking at them dealing with them providing for them and we're not saying along the way how's that for you you know did that did that work are you okay with that um is there anything you'd like to change often we find the feedback you know how was that for you comes at the end of a performance you know the the, the round of applause that you get when you take your curtain bow yeah. for me you need that feedback constantly through your yeah. your delivery um, sure. if you haven't got that you're not involving the audience in what might come next and how you might choose mm. to iterate it's you know it's think of it as the feedback loop you need that feedback loop open Throughout your entire journey to know how you might flex and adapt your performance going forward, and and that so you know, I I guess if you know if I was to yeah summarize or give an example, it would be the difference between broadcast delivery where this is what we do and we're doing it at you, and that might by the way might be really really valuable if you've got a great product and a great service and ninety nine point nine percent of the time people get it and it just works, then broadcast delivery might not be a bad thing. And yet, actually, I believe that if you're really involving your client in that customer experience, in that performance, then at times through your broadcast, you need to be stopping and checking in with them. And also don't be afraid of getting them involved in the what next, you know. Mm -hmm. Performance is about storytelling, right? And actually, the best thing to do in business is to make your customers the heroes of your story. So it means they've got to be in the show. You can't just have them in the wings watching on.
1: And also that brings us back to what we were saying initially is like when we're trying to work out what's remarkable or what's meaningful or what's important, until you do that two-way dialogue, until you do that feedback loop, you don't actually know what's important or remarkable for someone else. Humans are meaning-making machines, right? And what I place meaning on a particular activity might be nothing compared to somebody sitting next to me. And that's part of Identifying how to enhance and make your brand experience better for anybody who's going to come in contact with you, because actually you'll start to emanate all these things, won't you? Because you've had feedback,
0: And, and you know feedback feedback from an audience is obvious. Like as in, people clap, people laugh, people. Wits. in in the entertainment they, they industry gasp. it's, in the it's entertainment a very industry, direct yeah. response it's, isn't it it's a <laughs> very direct response you know even even in the sort of light entertainment world of the sort of 70s and 80s they used to have things like clapometers you know where they would get audiences to cheer and they'd have like a a gauge at the side to see which act they they liked the most these days you know you turn on things like britain's got talent or the x factor and it's all phone polls but it's the same thing it's mm-hmm. audience feedback it's audience reaction yeah. for me we have to find ways to replicate that feedback loop within our business context and it's normally driven by us asking our clients how was that for you you know was yeah. there anything in that that you would change you know
1: or oh, what have you done as a result or so what have you done yeah. as differently as a result of doing the work yeah I suppose the, the other thing that was also interesting to me is these lulls, is planning for lulls where you've not lost someone or made someone really bored.
0: Yeah, <laughs> But yeah.
1: planning for and knowing. So we've talked about the moments, but maybe it's these moments in between. Maybe we can just talk about yeah. those planned So the thing, the thing
0: about a lull is you've got to decide what you want to happen in it and what the purpose of the lull is. And for me, so the purpose of a lull could be to, to have your, your customer reflect. Like, so th- th- there are so many people that are, you know, from a learning style point of view, reflectors. And if you were to ask them, how was that for you? They might not have a direct answer for you straight away. They might need a few moments, a few hours, or even a few days sometimes to reflect on that. So sometimes the lull is reflection lull. Actually, mm-hmm. we, we want to give them a bit of space for them to think about things. Yeah. So, you know, is that the purpose of the lull to reflect? The other thing, I guess, and, and again, I'll go. I'm, I'm flipping between um, entertainment world and and business world here a little no, bit. No, no,
1: it's good. Back and forth is good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, w- one of the things that again stuck with me from my time on on the holiday park. So at the time, we were. I won't mention them by name, but we were owned by one of the largest holiday park companies in the UK, right? And um, they just bought the brand. So the brand that I worked for had just gone through an acquisition. It had just been purchased, and there were a lot of changes coming in that were directed by corporate, directed by head office. And one of the changes was something that they called bar breaks. So, you know, someone at head office in accounts had gone, right, if we factor we need to in... sell
1: more alcohol.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, if we factor in lulls in our entertainment program, people will get up from their chairs and go to the bar, and therefore we will make more money on the bar, right? Now, that sounds like a really commercially astute thing to do, right? It sounds like a great... As an entertainment manager, I felt like someone was cutting off one of my arms. Like, it's your what? life, You're... Bud. Yeah. yeah. You're telling me to kill an atmosphere in the room just so that people can go to the bar? Like, what is that? And, you know, we argued the toss on this. We, we, we you know, uh, we and a few other parks really rallied against head office to try and stop this from happening. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't win the argument. This was a direct... This was a mandate from head office you have to include these bar breaks so the way in which we dealt with them is that we record pre-recorded bar break music right so the whole idea was the room changed state right so and it was for 15 minutes like every couple of hours there'd be a 15 minute bar break right so the room changed state so the lighting changed it stopped from high energy sort of dance music to sort of lower level uh, volume music the light the house lights came up a little bit and there was like you would have in like a theatre, in an interval, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. And what we chose to do with those pre-recorded... Because so, we could have just put background music on and just left it at that, right? But we chose to change the state through the atmosphere in the room. We started pumping dry ice and smoke onto the stage to suggest that something was about to happen next, right? So visually, we were giving our mm-hmm. audience a cue that something was going to happen next. And in and amongst the music, we were dropping adverts, pre-recorded adverts, for entertainment that was still to come that night. Uh-huh. Right? So we were following the orders of, no DJ, don't speak, don't pre- don't perform, don't entertain, don't act, don't do all these things, just send people to the bar. And yet what we were doing was putting on some music that said, you know, don't forget to get your drinks in at the bar during this bar break and come back quickly quickly because soon, soon, you know, coming up soon or later on tonight, we've got this show and we've got these people and and we had all that pre-recorded. So again, it was no live interaction. And also during that time, um, everyone went on PR duty for 15 minutes. So the whole crew, all the entertainment crew, all seven or eight of us went straight out into the audience. To check in with people and see if people were having a good time, right? So, uh, so I think that there are so many things that you can achieve in those lulls. The worst thing we could have done. So, if we flip it on its head and say, well, what's the worst thing that we could have done? If we were following the directive, we could have just put the house lights up, cut the music, cut the lights, let everyone go to the bar, and we all go backstage and have a break for fifteen minutes.
1: And hope to goodness everybody comes back afterwards.
0: Exactly. A, you're hoping that everyone's going to come back. B, you haven't got the chance to get any feedback from your audience or your customers because you're not talking to them. So I think in the business world, those lulls are, you know, I've delivered a service. I've had a chat with with my client three or four days ago. I'm not going to speak to them again for another two and three weeks. During that time, there's a lull. Like, what what am I doing to keep in contact with them during that lull? Mm -hmm. What am I doing to remain front of mind, front of focus during that lull and what am i doing to signpost what's going to happen next during that lull so if if i if at the end of a call with a client i've said let's talk again in two weeks time and we've even Mm. set a date like Mm. in that two weeks what am i doing to check in with them to re-inspire them and reignite that excitement about the call i'm going to have in two weeks time yeah
1: Yeah. so an example for somebody listening i'll give is By running my program, what I try to think about is, and not just pre-make this up because I try to do it while I was building the program and starting my, my beta group, was to put myself in the shoes of the participants to go, okay, if I was starting a big chunk of business development work like this, how would I be feeling right now? Like what kinds of questions would I be having? And at the beginning, I had to just do it all from what I thought. But then I managed to, like you say, do those feedback loops, and then realize that, okay, yes, some people were feeling those things, but they were feeling other things, then I could make sure that when an email would go out and go, okay, next call is going to be da-da-da, or this is what you need, get your stationery, get your pens together, are you excited, do you have questions? I was trying to think of the things that could kind of, like you say, fill those gaps, because I'm aware of the experience of being on the program is quite intense. So it's, you know, what can you, do to almost prepare people or get, send out a, a virtual hug <laughs> or something yeah, yeah, or yeah. even something in the post because what I'm also flipping yeah. between is it doesn't. everything doesn't have to be digital. Everything no. doesn't have to be in person, but you could send something in the post, like good old-fashioned, <laughs> the lump factor as well.
0: Well, yeah, I think you're right about the not everything needs to be digital. I, I'm, You know, I'm a tech geek. I love a piece of technology. I love things yeah. that are digital yeah. and yet <laughs> actually digital is broadcast. There's no yes, interaction with digital. So, and we can make that broadcast really good. I mean, you know, television and film is successful not because of its interactivity, right? So, no, you know, we, no, exactly. we all tune into big programs that have been put together yeah. really, really well. And yet, actually, from a interaction point of view, we also love the kind of shows that we tune into where they go live to someone in the audience or they go, yes. you know, to someone watching at home. Like, you know, Anton Deck, one of the most popular light entertainment television programs in in the in the mm. modern age right mm. why in part because it involves its audience yeah so yeah i don't i don't think everything needs to be digital i think sometimes old school is better school and you know that's something tangible in the post that, that people can pick up you know you talk about a virtual hug you know go and give them a real hug like knock on their door Give them an actual, no, don't pick them out, maybe or like no. stalk them or anything. But. <laughs> just just knocking on their window at night, going "Hello, I wanted to give you a hug."
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think also it's just um, it also will make you stand out. I think as a service provider, where you are mixing up those different senses as well, because all too often I've just seen too many, you know, uh, service providers as well just go all in on digital. And it's like, yeah, well, don't don't forget that you are dealing with humans you know, who want to be heard, who want to be in on a conversation as well and try and build that in. Yeah.
0: Human beings. Human Human beings.
1: beings, So, (laughs) God, complicated things. So I like to kind of, uh, I'll bring it to a close because I I know I've got other burning questions, which I'm going to have to save for another time. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, So, like, you left employment in 2011, right? So that's how far back I did double check this. And of course, you've been on a roller coaster like, right much like many of us we're in yeah, dips and yeah. troughs and you start something you start something new you change and evolve but if you had to go back in time and you jumped into your who, who's the guy from back to the future i forgot the character's name uh marty what, marty mcfly marty? Yeah, yes, yeah yeah yeah. gets into the delorean and he goes back in time to have a chat to david <laughs> what kind of wise words would you be able to pass on to david of other than
0: other than don't fall in love with your mom or something isn't that what happens in the film <laughs> yeah
1: i like don't do that yeah but like, what yeah, wise yeah. words would you really give him to maybe help his, make his journey a bit easier for him?
0: That's a great question. Wow. There's so, there's so much that you can learn, I think, from self-employment and so many pieces of advice that you would give yourself that you only wish you had. And even if you'd had it, I wonder if you would have taken it. Like, you you can be quite stubborn, I think, in it's the self-employed true. world and, yeah. and not listen to good advice. So what, what would I tell uh, younger David?
1: Younger, yes.
0: I think focus on the things that energize you outsource the things that don't and one of the things I did quite early and perhaps because my business was but you know the the was my time so as a consultant you know you you're charging yourself out either a daily rate an hourly rate or whatever it was quite easy to come up with a value and you know a financial value for what I thought my time was worth yeah and that probably made like outsourcing decisions and budget decisions a lot easier because someone would say, well, this is going to cost you X for me to do it. And I would go, okay, well, if I did it, it would cost that. So that's cheaper if I get you to do it then. So that that's probably ca- not made... Not everybody
1: thinks that way, though.
0: Yeah, so. no, you're right. And you're not. You're right. And, and I guess my advice to me back then would be think it that would way. Would be to do that. <laughs> you know? yes. Yeah, yeah I, I have, have that. I also think if I was to give myself one other piece of advice that I've only recently just started to take that was a goal, actually all those years ago and has only really recently started to happen is pick like a personal reward that you can give yourself for running your own business so whether that business is doing well or not you need to be rewarded for taking the risk in yourself and the 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 reward that I promised myself way back when was that if I'm going to work for myself I'm going to get the choice to take time off to spend with my family when my kids are off school and things like that So I made a promise to myself years and years ago that I was going to take half terms off. I was going to take Christmas holidays off, that I was going to take the summer holidays off. And I was going to remember that actually the only reason I have a business and have a job is to fund a lifestyle that I want for my family. And actually my family are more important than anything else. So only really the last two, three years ish, I've done that where I, I will take half terms off. I'll take summer off. So I get way more holiday than you know if than I would if I was in employment. But yeah, let's I work just say it's not days. relaxing
1: holiday. Let's just like not.
0: That, yeah, out there. it's not. It's not relaxing. <laughs> Listen, with 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 two terrorists, I mean children. Um, uh, you know, an eight year old and a five year old. There's no such thing as relaxing. But but we're making memories, and <laughs> yes, and, and exactly. we're doing stuff that that they will remember. They will they will not know any different than you know, mummy and daddy were both off on on holiday with us when we had school holidays, and we didn't have to. You know, And I'm not, su- you know, I'm not suggesting that everyone has this luxury you know, because it's not that straightforward. I, you know, I, I'm making this sound beautifully simple. Just take time off. Um, yeah. it, it's not that simple. And yet that's good. the reward I'm giving myself for the, the long days, the sleepless nights, the working projects on a weekend to make sure that they're ready for a Monday. I, I, I make sure I reward myself that quality time off. And that's the that's personal great. reward I choose. Other people might choose different personal rewards. But, but also if you're going to your take life, the risk and be self-employed, have a reward.
1: Yeah, and in your life season, the, those rewards will change. You know, as you get older, you'll yeah. have something else you set up for yourself. So if someone was listening today, David, and would like to learn more about you, what's the best way to find you?
0: Sure. Come and knock on my window and give me a hug.
1: <laughs> give me a hug. No, don't. Don't do that.
0: <laughs> That's got the, there's a queue of people forming already. Listen, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to track me down. David Ventura, I'm not that difficult to find, I don't think. So I'm, I'm there on LinkedIn or, you know, business website is camguru.com. Yeah, just hunt me down and, and say hello. Happy to have, uh, have a chat.
1: And I'll put all of that in the show notes for anybody listening as well. So, uh, thank you so much, David, as ever. My pleasure. Uh, it thank really you. lifts me up having these conversations with you and really feeds my hungry, curious brain. But uh, keep doing what you're doing. Your genius is much needed in the world and your genuine care for the human condition comes through every single time I talk to you. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you, (laughs) Shelley. Pleasure to be here.
1: (laughs) And that's it for this episode, folks. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to us today. Again, I know I'm biased, but uh, I felt like that was another episode that potentially you need to share with someone who you know who might be needing a bit more light on this topic. But until next time, stay strong, believe you have value and make good brand decisions.
0: Thank you for listening to The Brand Compass. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your entrepreneurial friends and help them make good brand decisions. Until next time, let's keep the conversation going at ShellyRoslund.com.